0: Welcome to The Refresh from Insider, presented by WebEx by Cisco. I'm Dave Smith.
1: And I'm Rebecca Ibarra. It's Tuesday, July 12th, and we're the podcast that updates whenever there's news, all day, every weekday.
0: Here's the latest. The seventh House January 6th committee hearing is underway. Committee vice chair Liz Cheney kicked things off by saying the earlier hearings have provoked a new defense from Donald Trump's team. They are no longer ignoring the proceedings, she said, but rather claiming that Trump was misled by the people around him into believing the election was stolen from him. But Cheney was not having it.
1: The strategy is to blame people his advisors called, quote, the crazies for what Donald Trump did. This, of course, is nonsense. President Trump is a 76-year-old man. He is not an impressionable child. Just like everyone else in our country, he is responsible for his own actions and his own choices. The committee revealed new evidence about the steps Trump and his advisors considered taking after it was clear Biden had won the 2020 election. They showed a draft executive order that would have authorized the Defense Department to seize voting machines. Here's Pat Cipollone, Trump's White House counsel. That's not how we do things in the United States. Uh, There's no legal authority to do that.
0: And there is a way to contest elections, you know, that that happens all the
1: time. The push to seize voting machines was, of course, connected to the conspiracy theory that some of them had been hacked to favor Joe Biden. The night of December 18th, President Trump gathered his closest advisors for six hours to brainstorm ways of overturning the election results. Key figures like Attorney General William Barr and White House Counsel Pat Cipollone were arguing against Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, who favored extreme measures. According to multiple people in the room, including Giuliani, things got very heated.
2: I'm going to categorically describe it as... You guys are not tough enough. Or maybe I put it another way, you're a bunch of pussies. Excuse the expression, but that, that's I,
1: I'm almost certain the word was used. On December 19th, 2020, Trump sent out one of the most consequential tweets of his presidency. He invited supporters to come to Washington on the day of the electoral vote count in Congress. Big protest in D.C. on January 6th, he tweeted. Be there will be wild. The committee showed how that tweet unleashed a torrent of extreme reaction online. Maryland Democrat Jamie Raskin read a sample.
0: Some of the online rhetoric turned openly homicidal and white nationalist, such as, why don't we just kill them, every last Democrat, down to the last man, woman, and child? And it's time for the day of the rope. White revolution is the only solution. Others realized that police would be standing in the way of their effort to overturn the election. So one wrote, I'm ready to die for my beliefs. Are you ready to die police? Officials in charge of liquidating the cryptocurrency hedge fund 3 Arrows Capital also known as 3AC say they can't find the founders. In a court filing, they say 3AC founders Suju and Kyle Davies have been completely uncooperative. And when the officials went to Singapore to try to find these guys at 3AC's headquarters, they only found a locked door and a pile of unopened mail. 3AC filed for bankruptcy earlier this month after it defaulted on hundreds of millions of dollars worth of loans. Today and every day, we're updating the refresh from Insider as news happens. So check back whenever you want to know the latest.
1: Coming up, we dive into the rising popularity of Formula One.
0: The Biden administration is fighting back against states that prohibit abortions even when the mother's life is at risk. The Department of Health and Human Services has released guidance saying that federal law requires hospitals to provide stabilizing care to all patients. HHS Secretary Javier Becerra noted, quote, Federal law preempts state abortion bans when needed for emergency care.
1: If you decided to back out of an offer to buy a home last month, you're not alone. According to Redfin, 15% of home sales were canceled in June. That's the highest percentage since April 2020, when people were shaken up by early COVID lockdowns. But given the historically high prices for homes and rising mortgage rates, more people backing out of deals isn't too surprising. Bloomberg notes were in the midst of the least affordable housing market in decades.
0: The Justice Department is looking into how the PGA Tour handled players who went off to join LIV Golf. That's the golf league that's backed by the Saudi government and has been shaking up the sport in part by luring players with hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, the PGA Tour suspended many of those players, and now the DOJ is investigating whether that means the PGA engaged in anti-competitive behavior. The Wall Street Journal had the scoop.
1: In what's sure to be a first, the city of Albuquerque will unveil statues honoring two famous, if fictional, meth dealers, Breaking Bad's Walter White and Jesse Pinkman. The statues were commissioned by the series creator Vince Gilligan, who says he wants to give back to the city where the show was set and filmed. Thousands of tourists come to Albuquerque every year to visit famous sites from the show. And honestly, who won't want to take a picture with the bronze likeness of Heisenberg and Captain Cook?
0: Not often can one say $10 billion well spent, but the first image from NASA's James Webb Space Telescope makes its price tag seem totally worth it. Seriously, go look at the image President Biden released last night, it is awesome. More photos will be released today, and we can expect regular dispatches going forward as the telescope continues to look deeper into space. Author and science vlogger Hank Green summed it up well.
2: This is one of the coolest things that humanity has ever done, and we're all very lucky to be around to see it.
1: Formula One racing has been getting really popular in the US, and one indicator, F1 recently renewed its three-year media deal with ESPN for an estimated $75 to $90 million per year. The previous deal was for $5 million per year. Insider's Alanis King has a book about F1 coming out soon, and she's here to tell us what's been driving this surge in popularity. Hey, Alanis. So first, For anyone who isn't familiar with it, what is Formula One?
2: So Formula One is a global racing series. And many people, if you're in America, you know about NASCAR most likely, perhaps IndyCar those are very American centric racing series. What Formula One does is it goes to countries around the world and racing circuits around the world, sometimes street races that are built on literally the streets of a city. And it races in all these different countries, including America. And the difference between Formula One and something like NASCAR is that NASCAR looks more like the cars you drive on the road. Whereas Formula One, they look a little bit like a weird spaceship. They're open wheel cars. So the wheels stick out on the side of the cars they've got really pointy noses and huge wings on the back and formula one is basically a giant test of not only driver but car so that's why you'll see a lot of teams have these empires right so they'll lead for a long time because they have a really good car and also really good drivers it's a test of both and the biggest test of how good you are at driving that car is how you drive it against your teammate so Not only are there rivals between teams, but there are rivals within teams because at the end of the day, the biggest competitor is your
1: teammate. So this sport has seen a steep rise in its U.S. viewership, which has increased about 40% since last year. I I must confess, I didn't really follow the sport until I watched Formula One Drive to Survive on Netflix. So what do you think is behind that?
2: Yeah, so a lot of people got into Formula One through Drive to Survive. Uh, And I think that was the main thing behind it was getting it in front of this audience and it took off. But that would have never happened, I don't think, unless Formula One had gotten new ownership. And Formula One got new ownership in 2016. A company called Liberty Media took over the sport. They took over the sport from Bernie Ecclestone, who led it for many, many decades. And Bernie Ecclestone was behind many surges in Formula One's popularity, really lucrative TV deals, stuff like that. But once we got into kind of the 2010s, Bernie was a little behind. He wouldn't let people use social media. He didn't want modern era media coverage. He wanted it to stay the same. When we got Bernie Ecclestone out of the way and brought Liberty Media in, we started seeing more leniency around Coverage in the paddock, social media posts, videos from testing, and then this culminated in Drive to Survive, the Netflix series, which is a docu-series that follows Formula One pretty well, and it took off like wildfire. Everybody loved it. People love the drivers, and now they're watching it, and it's fantastic.
1: There's this perception that F1 is a little more bougie than NASCAR. What's behind that?
2: I think people find comfort in their assumptions of things. Mm. So for a long time, especially for Americans, there has been a certain view of NASCAR, what NASCAR is. And NASCAR has contributed to that itself quite a bit. They only banned the Confederate flag from racetracks a couple of years ago. Yeah. So there's this perception of what NASCAR is that's not totally right, but kind of right sometimes. And then there's formula one, which is for Americans, a very foreign thing. So they see it as maybe more glamorous than it is and gloss it over more than other people would. But I mean, formula one is extremely glamorous. Like formula one is very, very fancy, but it all boils down to in racing, Who has the money to compete and who's fast enough? And I think a lot of people look past the fact that at the end of the day, when you look at the Formula One field and you look at the NASCAR field, the lack of diversity is very present in both of them. There has only been one black driver in the history of Formula One, and that's Lewis Hamilton, and he's won seven championships. The rest of them, more or less... Rich white guys, generally. Yeah. That's what happens.
1: Rich white people sport.
2: You know, when you're wrecking cars for a living (laughs) and you have to wreck cars to learn how to drive them, that's what happens. You know, if you need money to enter a sport, there will ultimately be less diversity in that sport, at least
1: in modern times. Alanis, thank you so much for chatting with us on the refresh. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Alanis King's book on Formula One, Racing with Rich Energy, is coming out this fall. Make sure to follow The Refresh from Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave a rating and review. It helps other people discover the show.
0: You can also just tell your smart speaker to play The Refresh from Insider podcast. I'm Dave Smith.
1: And I'm Rebecca Barra. Talk to you soon.